Section 32 of Literary Lapses by Stephen Leacock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Experiment with Policeman Hogan. Mr. Scalper sits writing in the reporter's room of the Daily Eclipse. The paper has gone to press, and he is alone. A wayward talented gentleman, this Mr. Scalper, and employed by the Eclipse as a delineator of character from handwriting. Any subscriber who forwards a specimen of his handwriting is treated to a prompt analysis of his character from Mr. Scalper's facile pen. The literary genius has made a little pile of correspondence beside him, and is engaged in the practice of his art. Outside, the night is dark and rainy. The clock on the city hall marks the hour of two. In front of the newspaper office, Policeman Hogan walks drearily up and down his beat. The damp misery of Hogan is intense. A belated gentleman in clerical attire, returning home from a bed of sickness, gives him a side look of timid pity and shivers past. Hogan follows the retreating figure with his eye, then draws forth a notebook and sits down on the steps of the Eclipse building to write in the light of the gas lamp. Gentlemen of nocturnal habits have often wondered what it is that Policeman Hogan and his brethren write in their little books. Here are the words that are fashioned by the big fist of the policeman. Two o'clock. All is well. There is a light in Mr. Scalper's room above. The night is very wet, and I am unhappy and cannot sleep. My fourth night of insomnia. Suspicious-looking individual just passed. Alas, how melancholy is my life! Will the dawn never break? O oh, moist, moist stone! Mr. Scalper up above is writing, too, writing with the careless fluency of a man who draws his pay by the column. He is delineating with skill and rapidity. The reporter's room is gloomy and desolate. Mr. Scalper is a man of sensitive temperament, and the dreariness of his surroundings depresses him. He opens the letter of a correspondent, examines the handwriting narrowly, casts his eye around the room for inspiration, and proceeds to delineate, G.H., you have an unhappy, despondent nature. Your circumstances oppress you, and your life is filled with an infinite sadness. You feel that you are without hope. Mr. Scalper pauses, takes another look around the room, and finally lets his eye rest for some time upon a tall black bottle that stands on the shelf of an open cupboard. He then goes on. And you have lost all belief in Christianity and a future world and human virtue. You are very weak against temptation, but there is an ugly vein of determination in your character when you make up your mind that you are going to have a thing. Here Mr. Scalper stops abruptly, pushes back his chair, and dashes across the room to the cupboard. He takes the black bottle from the shelf, applies it to his lips, and remains for some time motionless. He then returns to finish the delineation of G.H. with the hurried words, On the whole, I recommend you to persevere. You are doing very well. Mr. Scalper's next proceeding is peculiar. He takes from the cupboard a roll of twine, about fifty feet in length, and attaches one end of it to the neck of the bottle. Going then to one of the windows, he opens it, leans out, and whistles softly. The alert ear of Policeman Hogan on the pavement below catches the sound, 
and he returns it. The bottle is lowered to the end of the string, the guardian of the peace applies it to his gullet, and for some time the policeman and the man of letters remain attached by a cord of sympathy. Gentlemen who lead the variegated life of Mr. Scalper find it well to propitiate the arm of the law, and attachments of this sort are not uncommon. Mr. Scalper hauls up the bottle, closes the window, and returns to his task. The policeman resumes his walk with a glow of internal satisfaction. A glance at the city hall clock causes him to enter another note in his book. Half past two, all is better. The weather is milder, with a feeling of young summer in the air. Two lights in Mr. Scalper's room. Nothing has occurred which need be brought to the notice of the roundsman. Things are going better upstairs, too. The delineator opens a second envelope, surveys the writing of the correspondent with a critical yet charitable eye, and writes with more complacency. William H., your writing shows a disposition which, though naturally melancholy, is capable of a temporary cheerfulness. You have known misfortune, but have made up your mind to look on the bright side of things. If you will allow me to say so, you indulge in liquor, but are quite moderate in your use of it. Be assured that no harm ever comes of this moderate use. It enlivens the intellect, brightens the faculties, and stimulates the dormant fancy into a pleasurable activity. It is only when carried to excess. At this point the feelings of Mr. Scalper, who had been writing very rapidly, evidently become too much for him. He starts up from his chair, rushes two or three times around the room, and finally returns to finish the delineation thus. It is only when carried to excess that this moderation becomes pernicious. Mr. Scalper succumbs to the train of thought suggested, and gives an illustration of how moderation to excess may be avoided, after which he lowers the bottle to Policeman Hogan with a cheery exchange of greetings. The half-hours pass on. The delineator is writing busily, and feels that he is writing well. The characters of his correspondence lie bare to his keen eye, and flow from his facile pen. From time to time he pauses and appeals to the source of his inspiration. His humanity prompts him to extend the inspiration to Policeman Hogan. The minion of the law walks his beat with a feeling of more than tranquility. A solitary Chinaman, returning home late from his midnight laundry, scuttles past. The literary instinct has risen strong in Hogan from his connection with the man of genius above him, and the passage of the lone Chinee gives him occasion to write in his book, 4.30. Everything is simply great. There are four lights in Mr. Scalper's room. Mild, balmy weather with prospects of an earthquake, which may be held in check by walking with extreme caution. Two Chinamen have just passed, mandarins, I presume. Their walk is unsteady, but their faces so benign as to disarm suspicion. Up in the office, Mr. Scalper has reached the letter of a correspondent which appears to give him particular pleasure, for he delineates the character with a beaming smile of satisfaction. To the unpractised eye, the writing resembles the prim, angular kind of an elderly spinster. Mr. Scalper, however, seems to think otherwise, for he writes, Aunt Dorothy, 
you have a merry, rollicking nature. At times you are seized with a wild, tumultuous hilarity, to which you give ample vent in shouting and song. You are much addicted to profanity, and you rightly feel that this is part of your nature, and you must not check it. The world is a very bright place to you, Aunt Dorothy. Write to me again soon. Our minds seem cast in the same mold. Mr. Scalper seems to think that he has not done full justice to the subject he is treating, for he proceeds to write a long private letter to Aunt Dorothy in addition to the printed delineation. As he finishes, the city hall clock points to five, and policeman Hogan makes the last entry in his chronicle. Hogan has seated himself upon the steps of the Eclipse building for greater comfort, and writes with a slow, leisurely fist, The other hand of the clock points north, and the second longest points southeast by south. I infer that it is five o'clock. The electric lights in Mr. Scalper's room defy the eye. The roundsman has passed and examined my notes of the night's occurrences. They are entirely satisfactory, and he is pleased with their literary form. The earthquake which I apprehended was reduced to a few minor oscillations which cannot reach me where I sit. The lowering of the bottle interrupts policeman Hogan. The long letter to Aunt Dorothy has cooled the ardor of Mr. Scalper. The generous blush has passed from his mind, and he has been trying in vain to restore it. To afford Hogan a similar opportunity, he decides not to haul the bottle up immediately, but to leave it in his custody while he delineates a character. The writing of this correspondent would seem to the inexperienced eye to be that of a timid little maiden in her teens. Mr. Scalper is not to be deceived by appearances. He shakes his head mournfully at the letter and writes, Little Emily, you have known great happiness, but it has passed. Despondency has driven you to seek forgetfulness in drink. Your writing shows the worst phase of the liquor habit. I apprehend that shortly you will have delirium tremens. Poor little Emily, do not try to break off, it is too late. Mr. Scalper is visibly affected by his correspondent's unhappy condition. His eye becomes moist, and he decides to haul up the bottle while there is still time to save policeman Hogan from acquiring a taste for liquor. He is surprised and alarmed to find the attempt to haul it up ineffectual. The minion of the law has fallen into a leaden slumber, and the bottle remains tight in his grasp. The baffled delineator lets fall the string and returns to finish his task. Only a few lines are now required to fill the column, but Mr. Scalper finds on examining the correspondence that he has exhausted the subjects. This, however, is quite a common occurrence, and occasions no dilemma in the mind of the talented gentleman. It is his custom in such cases to fill up the space with an imaginary character or two, the analysis of which is a task most congenial to his mind. He bows his head in thought for a few moments, and then writes as follows. Policeman H., your hand shows great firmness. When once set upon a thing, you are not easily moved. But you have a mean, grasping disposition, and a tendency to want more than your share. You have formed an attachment which you hope will be continued throughout life, but your selfishness threatens to sever the bond. Having written which, 
Mr. Scalper arranges his manuscript for the printer next day, dons his hat and coat, and wends his way home in the morning twilight, feeling that his pay is earned. End of section 32